The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Well, week five has mostly come and gone now. We're recording this on Monday morning before the Packers-Raiders kick off tonight. Uh, And we are now at the point of the season where we are separating out the frauds from the good teams, from the really, really, really good teams. Uh, Looks like the 49ers are in that last category for sure. Um, Still trying to figure out which category the Cowboys are in, but... You know, maybe that's a question we'll answer later in the show. Before we dive into all of the uh, quote-unquote best games of Week Five that we're going to do our little breakdowns on, EJ, how you feeling? I'm happy. I'm happy we were wrong. We looked at this slate and we said ah, this might not be the greatest week of football, and it was a really entertaining Sunday. Thursday was fun. Sunday night was interesting, I think. Again, like you said, sort of checking assumptions. Uh, We'd seen one of those teams live very recently. The other one we had hmm, opinions about. Those opinions pretty much held up. So it's always cool when you go in and get to say, what do I think I know versus what happens on the field? And, you know, all in all, it was a very long, very fun Sunday of football. Well, why don't we dive into that? That London game first. How about that? Uh, Jags-Bills, which, full disclosure, when we did our preview of of this game, I was very skeptical of the matchup for the Jags. I did not think it was a good matchup for the Jags at all. Because looking, uh, looking at what the Jags did well uh, was exactly what the Bills are very good at stopping. And then looking at what the Jags, or rather looking at what hurts the Bills from a schematic perspective leading up to this game. It was a lot of stuff that the Jags just didn't do, like in in particular outside zone. Like outside zone has has really gashed this Bills defense the entire year, whether Greg Rousseau was in or not. Obviously, he was out in this game. But even with Rousseau in, outside zone absolutely tore them apart. And then going into the game, I was like, I don't know about this uh, about this Jags offensive matchup because they don't run outside zone. Like they're one of the the teams that barely even touches. It was like ten or eleven percent, something like that. And then of course, what does Doug Peterson do? <laughs> he comes out and he runs outside zone. Half their explosive runs are off outside zone. They're averaging over nine yards a carry on outside zone. I'm like, okay, of course, yeah, Super Bowl winning coach. Yeah, they're going to do that. They're going to look at what the opponent's bad at and lean into that. But it, it was nice to see the Jags pivot offensively, um, at least in the run game. And the fact that they had such a consistent run game, um, the fact that they were able to control the clock, the fact that they were, for the most part, able to play pretty good defense, it allowed them to win in a very ugly way that 
up until this week, I didn't have the confidence that they could do. Like, I didn't think the Jags could win an ugly game because we're used to seeing them consistently step on their own feet and and literally and figuratively fumble away games that they should win. At least from the time that I woke up and I turned into this game like the second quarter and I watched them just continuously ruin their own drives with turnovers and... Um, you know, bad pass protection, a couple real questionable balls, questionable balls from Trevor. I'm like, God, here they go again. Like, you know, they, they get to the one inch line and then can't, can't push it over. Same old Jags. And then they were able to actually, when it really mattered most, Trevor uncorked that great ball down the sideline that was absolutely beautiful from the far hash, basically iced the game with that throw. ETN kept grinding, broke off some explosives late in the game. The defense came to play, even though they gave up that one really quick, like four play, 75 yard drive to Buffalo. Like they just kept going and going and going. And Josh Allen brought a lot of heat. You know, the the coverage held up late when it absolutely had to. And I I think this was a turning point game for the Jags because I'm, I'm so used to watching them lose games like that, where they're actively, literally fumbling the game away and they lose winnable games. This was a, a losable game that they won. So uh, credit to the Jags for doing that. I, I truly feel like this is a, as odd as it is to say for week five, I feel like this was a season-altering game for them. I didn't think they could win ugly games against good teams. They were good enough to win ugly games against bad teams. Buffalo is not a bad team. So as we looked at this matchup in the preview, we said... They're going to have to play straight. They're going to have to play really good, sharp football. They're going to have to bring their A game, or they're not going to win this game. Well, they sort of brought their A game. (laughs) They brought their A game over here, but not over here, and they still won the game. And that is a step, because you need to do that in the NFL. It is a long season, and you will have weeks where you do not come in firing on all cylinders, play a good team, and you need to be able to find a way to win those games, and the Jags did. I'm sorry you slept through the first quarter. You missed some of the really good stuff because Trevor came out (laughs) super sharp, hit big throws. He looked really good, and it was good enough to keep the Bills' defense off balance. Pulled his eyes down a few times and ran when he didn't need to, but he made positive yards. He had said, you know, sometimes I go through my reads too quickly, and it looked like that, but when he did that, he didn't let that just devolve into some kind of shit show where he was going to lose 15 yards. He just took off and ran, maybe picked up two, maybe picked up three, five, whatever. But he just lived to fight another play, and that was good, efficient football, and it kept them, I'm not going to say ahead of the sticks, but with the sticks, and that was sort of a theme throughout the game. Bogged down a little bit in the middle, the part you woke up for where it, it started to kind of go back and forth. And look, it's England. The beer's a little bit stronger. The game got drunk in the middle. It's okay. <laughs> But ETN is establishing himself as a superstar who can produce week in, week out against everybody. And that's what superstars do, right? They always put up their numbers. It doesn't matter if it's a good matchup or a bad matchup. They very rarely have weeks where they do very little. ETN is on the other end of that scale. He is doing big stuff every week. He was a huge factor in this game. You mentioned it late, early. He set the tone with those outside runs late in the game. The Bills' defense got really tired. There was so much attrition. They started to lose reserves. They held on for a while. They had guys like A.J. Epinesa playing out of his mind. Um, by the way, if you ever wonder why evaluators like length. Like he's he's a good AJ. example. Yeah, Look at A.J. Epinesa yesterday. The guy's like, you know, 6'5". He's got 34 and a half inch arms. And on three plays, he, he literally broke up three plays with that length. So that's why 
That's why evaluators like that stuff. But the whole unit just ran out of gas. It wasn't really their fault. They were playing hard. But as you take each guy out of that rotation through the secondary, obviously they lost Milano early. Defensive line, they had guys go down. By the time you're at the end of that game, it wasn't super hot or anything. It was sunny, which was kind of odd for England, but there you go. Um, they just, you could see them on the sideliners wearing down, wearing down, and the Jags started to lean on them, and that's when those explosive run plays came in, and that's that's really where the game tipped. Again, it's not the Bills' defensive fault, but, man, they're a mash unit by the end of the game. There's so many guys off the field. That's It's not that they're a bad football team or that they played poorly. They just they ran out of guys. And not only that, but they ran out of guys while being on the field for 82 plays. Like, the, the Jags just even a fully healthy defense, they're going to crack against 82 plays eventually, especially against a quarterback like Lawrence and a running back like ETN and a coach like Doug Peterson. Like you, you just, you can't hold up that long, you know, 38 minutes time of possession. It was just a, an absolute battle of attrition that, that the Jags eventually won. Um, I, I'm curious to see how, how the bills are going to look this coming week. Um, which I don't think they have a bye this week. Maybe they do. But if they don't have a bye this week, I'm curious to see how they're going to look this week because they got to be dog-tired um, and not to mention beat up with injuries. I don't, Do we have, um, speaking of Milano, do we have a read on what his injury actually is yet? Uh, there was a fracture and there was a possibility of ligament, knee ligament, uh, which would be the year. So the fracture is six to eight, most likely. That's typical bone tealing bone healing time but if there's a tear on top of that which they sort of were hinting at that it was likely he's done for the year that's a huge loss we obviously talk about Milano a lot on the show because he is a very talented player we think an underrated player uh, even though he has started to get more acclaim look the Bills spent a high pick on Dorian Williams and Dorian Williams came in and played pretty well yesterday and good for the bills that's what guru organizations do we talk about it with the eagles and howie all the time how he's built every level of this team they're gonna need a huge contribution terrell bernard has really stepped up uh in you know in place of tremaine edmonds playing that role but you don't lose a matt milano and and sort of not skip a beat it's good that they have a succession plan but it is something that they're gonna have to plan around because you can't assume that a rookie no matter how good they are are gonna play at the level of a defender like matt milano uh, it's it's unfortunate because I feel like the Bills were one of those teams that were able to stay healthy for a multiple year period, and, and we really got to see what they are capable of healthy. And in the last two years, they've just gotten yeah. just shellacked by injuries. There's a Twitter account that I, I follow that I very much enjoy called Banged Up Bills, which is uh, I, I think he's um, I want to say he's a, a some sort of medical personnel that is also a Bills fan, and so he kind of gives like injury um, insights into Bill's injuries and a he's been very useful for me to follow lately but b I mean he's had a lot a lot of work to do in the last couple seasons so I, I feel bad I feel bad on that front um flipping over to the other side Bill's offense against Jags defense this game was it was frustrating watching the Bill's offense but also uh, really exciting to watch the Bills offense because obviously we got some vintage Josh throws and Stefan looked great. And Davis had his uh, feel like automatic touchdown at this point, right? Uh, but also frustrating in the sense that they still can't figure out a way to get a consistent run game. 
we, we've seen it every now and then, you know, where whether it was Devin Singletary back in the day or whether it was uh, James Cook for like a couple games so far in his young career where, you know, they're able to run the ball and Josh doesn't have to do everything. We're like, there it is. There's the balance. That's what we're waiting for. Go up against the Jags defense today or yesterday, and they were right back to not being able to move anybody off the line of scrimmage on double teams. Cook, I don't know if he's dealing with an injury, but he just didn't look right himself, like couldn't break contact, um, didn't seem to have as much juice as I had seen from him previously. So again, I don't know if he's dealing with something, but the run game was just anemic, and it was so Bills to then have to resort to Josh Allen being a superhero. And some weeks he's able to do it, but this week it just wasn't enough, right? It just wasn't enough. And I, I, I really do wonder how far this team can go when they have to continuously do this, when it has to be Josh and Stefan and Gabe versus the world with a banged up defense that's just hanging on for dear life. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I just don't think this is going to work long term if this is what the Bills are. I feel like matching up against the best teams that the AFC has to offer, let alone the best teams the NFC has to offer, like the Niners and the Eagles, it feels a little bit too one-dimensional for me. It will work as long as they hit it on good weeks. And when they, just like we talked about at the top of this particular segment, come out a little bit flat and don't have all their firepower, they will fall apart. So it's a very thin margin. It's a it's a thin shield, thin veneer, whatever you want to call it. It works really well, but it only works really well when certainly those three players you mentioned in the passing offense are clicking. And the first time you get a really good defensive coach who says, I'm going to take away digs. You could beat me with Davis and your tight ends, but your running game's nothing. Then it's right back on Josh. He stayed away from most of the habits that get him into trouble. He did get frustrated on the one long INT, but like we talked about frustration defense, and it was basically an arm punt. I'm I'm going to forgive him that one. But really importantly, he also showed us that caping up is not always a bad thing. We always say we don't want him to have to be a superhero. We don't want him to cape up. It's a bad thing. Bad things happen. Well, sometimes good things happen. That little micro drive he led that was basically two of his bombs and him bowling into the end zone by himself for touchdown that took like, I don't know, 12 seconds of game time. It was awesome. Was just like, (laughs) oh, that's what super weapons are good for. That's what keeps DCs up at night. Like he came out, it looked like schoolyard football. He was like, oh yeah, I'll take 40 there. I'll take 20 there. And oh, by the way, get out of my way. Touchdown. I'm bigger than all the rest of you. We win. Let's go eat lunch. Like that was really awesome and a great reminder now again we don't want him to have to live in that space for multiple reasons he'll usually get frustrated throw bad ball it also adds wear and tear to his body if he is the rushing attack but as much as i want to sort of say oh it's frustrating the bills didn't have a rushing attack again because they really didn't um that decent run balance went away harris murray and cook three players combined for Probably, 15 yards. Yeah, I was going to say probably less than 25. 15 yards. Three players, 15 yards. I want to give credit to the Jags because we said, look, 
don't try and run inside on the Jags. This Jags interior run defense has been good all year, and they were good. So it was a combination of the Jags being good, the Bills, like you said, not being able to move them, both because of their skill and maybe because the Bills' lack of skill in that particular area or lack of fortitude either way. But because they had no rushing attack, yes, they had to pivot, became the Diggs and Davis combination, but they were in rare form. 221 yards and two TDs between the two of them. Um, Gabe had a day that he hasn't really had yet this season. Stefan, like you said, is Stefan. He just keeps doing Stefan things. The pass rush production from the Jags wasn't what I thought or hoped, and it's going to have to come up if there's a thing that's like the Bills running attack for Jacksonville. It's the defense's inability to get to the quarterback. Like they get some pressure, and we've we've talked about Josh Allen. He had some splash plays in this one, but overall, they, it it feels one dimensional. It feels like, hey, if they come up against a good offensive coordinator who can sort of stymie their Josh Allen, they're not going to get pressure. And for this team to go deeper into the playoffs, they're going to need some. Not sure how they're going to dial that up, but that was a sort of disappointment there. And then Darius Williams and Tyson Campbell continue to play pretty inspired football i realized that yeah i just said how well the bills wide receivers did against them they had pretty good days and continue to do so it is josh allen and stefan diggs and gabe davis the guys on the other side get paid too so both things can be true the corners can play pretty well throughout the day and the other offense can still have a pretty productive day yeah i think overall my takeaway from this game is just the bills are the Bills are an avalanche in in the best and the worst ways. In the yes. sense that, um, you know, in, in like the Dolphins game, hey, they made mistakes on three drives in a row and then Josh Allen just took over and buried them, right? Which they're absolutely capable of doing. Um, but at the same time, the, the fact that they are so one-dimensional means that if the team can just survive that, Right. Like the Jags were able to survive it and just grind and grind and grind. And I, I, I feel like their lack of balance means that they can't they can't put teams away or rather they can't. How, how's the best way to phrase this? Because <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic about it without without pissing off Bills fans, because I know the last thing I want to hear today is, is, you know, me criticizing their team. But. At the same time, like it, it's necessary. They are not going to beat Kansas City like this. They are sure as shit not going to beat the Niners or the Eagles like this. They probably won't beat Miami again if they stay like this. Because it's such a high variance team. Let alone, you know, uh, like Baltimore. <laughs> Like when Baltimore is rolling, and they're and they play like we know Baltimore can play, their you lack of balance. When their receivers actually catch the ball, don't even get me fucking oh started. Oh my god! Oh my! God. We're we're not talking about that game today on purpose because I would lose my That's right. fucking mind. Okay. Yes, that um, is correct. But like again, Baltimore is a more balanced team, and you know even if you look at uh like like the chargers the chargers are a more balanced team like say what you want about the chargers but i just i feel like i feel like this all or nothing approach to football which the it has has been the bills brand for how many years now the highs are so incredibly high and we praised them like last week 
And then it takes a game like this to remind us like, oh, when that first punch doesn't doesn't knock them out, like they can't they can't last for more than one round, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I get I get frustrated by them. Yeah, they gotta they gotta keep their guys on the field, and I know every team has to do that. Um, I'm just gonna jump on a tiny soapbox, and this doesn't have to do with the Bills or or really anybody else. It has to do with the whole NFL, and it happened a lot yesterday. Maybe because it was a long day. I cannot stand. This is my pet peeve when I say, "Oh, X player had a really good day," and they go, "Oh yeah, it's because X was injured on the other side." <laughs> Everybody's injured. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> like. That's the gig. You don't control that as a wide receiver. Like, if the guy you're supposed to match up against, you know, doesn't walk on the field, guess what? You get to match up against his backup. And his backup has just as many chances to make plays against you or get plays made over his head, you know. So it's up to that wide receiver to go out and win their matchup. They don't get to control the matchup, but they get to, you know, sort of decide whether or not they win it. And it happens like clockwork oh the reason that guy had 150 yards rushing is because this middle linebacker was out oh the reason that guy you know didn't get any yards is because the wide receiver was sitting on the bench like people were saying about the 49ers game it's like oh the reason why brock was able to throw all over the place because Diggs was out and it's like believe me stefan Diggs was not going to fix that no (laughs) or not stefan Diggs, trayvon Diggs, the other Diggs, yeah (laughs) the other Diggs. It's so reflexive at this point to say, oh, well, this injury is the reason that that team, that offense, that defense did well, didn't do well. Like the entire league is injured. Like the Bills are super injured right now. Let's let's be honest. I want to just send like bulk bubble wrap rolls to Buffalo or just put those guys in like isolation chambers, hyperbaric chambers and just let them all heal for the week. Forget practice. We'll just, you know, break glass in, in case of game time because they're really beat up but the entire league is beat up stop doing that it doesn't do you any service as a fan to say oh the reason they went off is because they were playing a backup there's a lot of backups playing around the nfl already i realize it's only week six and that number will only go up yes it's a fact of life sometimes you roll into a matchup that is favorable and if you do well i'm still going to call you out as hey you had a great game i don't care that you were playing against a quote-unquote rookie or backup or whatever else uh, before we move on to our, our next game, speaking of, of crazy, talented, balanced teams, uh, Eagles and Rams, but before we move on to that, uh, I do want to note, because there are going to be people watching this during the day on Monday, before Monday Night Football kicks off, and they always ask us, uh, okay, what's your Monday slip? And we haven't done it in the last few weeks, uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to get back into that habit. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop this right now just so you guys can see it. If you happen to be somebody who's interested in tailing and or knowing my luck, fading me. But uh, what I've got here for uh, for Raiders-Packers, when I was studying the Raiders' defense, not a very good run defense, terrible red zone defense, just not a good defense, period. Uh, so I did higher on Aaron Jones at 49.5 rushing yards. I feel like that one's going to be over fairly quickly. Uh, I did higher on Jordan Love, 1.5 passing TDs. Again, Raiders horrible run uh, horrible red zone defense they're like fourth or fifth worst in the NFL Rashawn Gary higher at over half a sack he's going up against uh, Illuminor uh, right tackle all night that's the matchup favoring Rashawn Gary easily uh, Jimmy G higher than 32 and a half passing attempts because 
I think it's pretty clear how I expect this game to go. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And then this oh, one you'll man. like. Uh, Divine Diablo, higher than eight tackles plus assists on the night. Because, again, I think the Packers are just going to run, run, run against them. How are you feeling about that? I was dead solid, perfect, and and let's just give a shout out. Look at you doing things before the deadline. Like what got into you? And and not betting on kickers. I, <laughs> I'm growing, know, EJ. I, <laughs> this is progress. This is the personification of progress, right here, folks. No, first three, dead solid, perfect, love it. The first one, I get a sort of, I get a little bit leery on that fourth one. I just the Jimmy man, G attempts. Yeah, if the Raiders, if the Raiders get there, it's a bad day. Like, I oh, I, I, I never, expect a bad day. That's I, the point I of know, this. <laughs> I know. I I just feel bad, sort of by proxy for Raiders fans. Like, yeah, and it was the same way for 49ers fans. If you saw that Jimmy G had 35 or 38 attempts, like things went wrong. That is not the game plan. Like, it is never. I don't think coaches ever sit down and go, you know, Jimmy, we want you to throw the ball 40 times this week. Like, no, please don't. So he might get there. It will come with sadness. The Divine Diablo one's fun. You know, hey, it's not first downs. It's not kickers. Like, I'm I'm with it. I'm, I'm behind that slip. And I'm mostly behind getting it done early and letting people, you know, pick their pick their side, right? Come along with us or... Throw tomatoes either way, but we're giving you extra time to do it. Uh, again, if you are not already an underdog and playing along with us, uh, if you use the link in the description below, use promo code bootleg. They'll match your deposit up to 100 bucks. So if this happens to be something that you're interested in to make a potentially not great Monday night game a little bit more interesting, again, you can find that link in the description down below. Uh, all right. Let's get to Eagles Rams here. And... I had I had this thought this morning while I was getting ready for the show because we've seen we've seen the 49ers play the Cowboys, we've seen the 49ers play the Rams, we've seen the Rams play the Eagles, we've seen you know all these NFC teams are kind of like mixing together now, right? Um, I truly think just based on how how the Rams have looked against the top of the top of the NFC that a they are a wild card caliber team. And I also think that they might be the best team the 49ers have played so far, which is not what I expected going into this year. Now, you and I, looking back at our offseason preview of the Rams, we said they're not going to be as bad as people think they are. They're young. They're inexperienced. They're not going to be, you know, bottom of the bottom barrel like people were expecting. Because we, we like a lot of the young talent that they do have, even though, admittedly, it is young. But I didn't see this. Like, I didn't see them, yeah, still losing to the best team in the NFC. But not getting embarrassed by them. And kind of hanging in there. And refusing to die. And several times throughout the game, you know, they, they did have the Eagles in a tough spot. And, of course, the Eagles had to just be like, oh, wait a minute, we're Philadelphia, we're more talented than everybody. You know, and Jalen Hurts was making ridiculous plays on third down and breaking tackles, and Jalen Carter's literally the most productive interior defensive lineman in the NFL right now, leading everybody in pressures, even over Aaron Donald. And he w- he took over the game on third downs at, at times. And 
you know, it, it, the, the, the brotherly shove is just completely unbeatable in, in short yarder situations. So like they did have to go to that well and just out talent the Rams, but the Rams hung in there. They really did. And I thought it was, it was as impressive a win for the Eagles as it was impressive a loss for the Rams. I don't believe in moral victories, but I do believe in, in what my eyes tell me. My eyes tell me the Rams are a solid-ass team. And yes, they are being carried by their quintet of McVay and, and Stafford and Donald and, and Cup and Puka. And the rest of the roster around them isn't all the way there yet. But it's good enough to give teams problems. And when the Rams are at their absolute best, they do not get blown off the field like the Cowboys have. They don't get completely wiped off the face of the earth like the Giants have against these two teams. It's a solid club. Again, they're not going to go all the way this year. But I have been genuinely impressed by them. Like, really genuinely impressed by this Ram squad. I will never claim that I saw this coming. Again, we didn't think that they would be terrible. We did not think that they would be great. We were in the sort of three to five wins, you know, not the first pick, a lot of development, load it up, get another draft class, try next year camp. They've played toe-to-toe with everybody. They only lost to the Niners by a touchdown. They played the Eagles even through a lot of this game, and they're not a joke. Anybody who underestimates them is going to get served. Fun thing is that they're already expecting that success of themselves. And every team says, oh, we expect to win. We don't We don't listen to anybody. Nah, it's not true. <laughs> you can see it on the field. That is not true of every team. It is true of this team. McVay was incensed they didn't win after this one. Mm-hmm. He was mad like at himself and repeated mistakes. Like This was not a guy that it's not some fool's errand. He's not like guessing or wishing or whatever else. He knows that they could have won this game in a reasonable fashion. Yeah. They ran short of dudes against Philly. Everybody (laughs) runs short of dudes against Philly. Like Philadelphia, we'll talk about them, but just overall that, that idea that the Rams are a really good team that is really good, that is going to play up to the competition. So many teams, as somebody said this in the comments last night about Dallas, look, they they beat the teams they're supposed to beat, and they get beat by the teams that they're not. And Mm -hmm. that's Dallas in a nutshell. Like, the Rams, I think, the first part of that, they're, they're beating the teams that, and there weren't many, that they were supposed to beat, but they're playing up to everybody else. They gave the Niners a game. They gave the Eagles a game. They are expecting to win tough games, even in the midst of their rebuild, reload, youth movement, whatever you want to call it. They're a really impressive team on a lot of facets and way ahead of where I would have thought they would have been at this point of the season. That's a fun team to watch. I also uh, just want to say, God, Stafford is unbelievable so far this year. Like there, there have been a, you know, especially in the Cincy game, there were a couple throws that he wants back, but. On the whole, Matthew Stafford's back, okay? Like, he is healthy. He is slinging it. He's throwing just darts all over the field. Cooper Cup, by the way, he's totally fine. He's 100%. Still good at football. Big surprise. You know, people were wondering, okay, now that Cup's back, what's this going to mean for, you know, Puka and Tutu? They're fine. There's your number two and number three, folks. Like, 
Kyron Williams, obviously, they struggle to want to run the ball against the, the Philly front. Everybody's going to struggle to run against Philly. But, like, on the whole, this offense can fucking throw the ball. They really can. And and I think that they're going to be a really tough out because of that. Um, and then on the other side, while we're talking about the Rams off against uh, – Rams off – Rams off – wow, Brett, sound it out. Uh, Rams <laughs> offense against Eagles defense. Um. I, I do want to specifically highlight Jalen Carter, who I had mentioned is leading all interior defensive linemen and pressures. It's rare that that we look at somebody who's billed as like the best player in a draft class and say that they were undersold. Jalen Carter was undersold. Like he is he is unbelievable. When he wins, you know it. And it looks just like it did in college. And I've said that a couple times already this year. When a player's highlights in the pros jumping to a much higher level of competition looks just like the wins he had in college, that's exceptional. And Carter is exceptional. He blasts through the line with like zero warning and just smashes quarterbacks. The immediacy of that is really scary. It's staggeringly quick for a guy of his size. And again he's doing it against grown-ass men and people are like oh well he's this is the other one i hate oh he's only playing like 40 percent of the snaps yeah have you seen what he done with this 40 percent yeah like he's leading the league (laughs) he's trashing people left and right and back to stafford because these two this was one of the interplays that we talk about during the preview was like yeah stafford's absolutely slinging darts this year no question driving the ball down the field is as confident in his ability to throw the ball as I've ever seen him. And that's saying something because I watched him in Detroit for his entire tenure, but he hasn't been hit a ton. The protection has not been great, but he has not taken a lot of hits. We knew he was going to take hits against this Eagles defensive line. And he did. He took a bunch of thumpers. He got right back up and kept slinging it. To me, that was kind of the... It's like when somebody has like a knee injury or really any injury and it's like, man, they got to get out there and get hit like they're looking good. But is it a thing like Stafford got wrecked a couple times yesterday, got right back up and he's been tough, really, really tough throughout his entire career. He's played through broken back and all kinds of other stuff like he got up yesterday and just kept slinging it. So the Eagles defensive line still looks amazing. Carter is a centerpiece there, which is crazy considering all the investment in free agency in the draft that they've put there that a a rookie can come in and be like yeah i'm the one you're watching on this unit well he is and stafford man he can rip it cup coming back just i think we talk about this with like offensive line like hey if that guy comes back then the other guy gets to play his natural position and there's this cascade effect Mm -hmm. that's the rams wide receivers is cups the number one again Puka and Tutu now with the extra experience especially can be really good twos and threes, and that's, I think, a more natural fit for them, and if anything, makes them all more dangerous. And you really saw Puka, you know, we've talked repeatedly about how, oh, he's going to be the Robert Woods. He's going to be the new Robert Woods. (laughs) This was, now that Cup was back, this was the first game where we're like, oh my God, he is the Robert Woods. Like, they were using him uh, to, like, lead block for Kyron, you know, on motion, you know, doing all, like, the Robert Woods improvisational fullback shit that they used to do with him. Um, You know, again, getting the touchdown, being one-on-one, you know, down the boundary that, that Bobby Trees used to do for them. It... It just looked like it's going to work. And I'm excited, honestly. I am excited because 
I I genuinely enjoy when I have good afternoon games to watch, and the Rams are always on in the afternoon for me. So this is a good sign for me personally that I'm going to have an entertaining uh, Sunday afternoon from here on out. Um, I, I would be remiss, by the way, before we left this game, if I didn't bring up the absolutely unstoppable combination that is Hurts to A.J. Brown. Uh, I think with each passing week, with each passing year, John Robinson trading him away from Tennessee is just going to look worse and worse and worse. Because at this point, what do you do against him? You you can't press him. He's going to go vertical on you. Um, You can't... if If you are trying to play man coverage with inside leverage... Again, good luck. But if you are trying to play zone and you're outside leverage, he's literally just going to grab you and throw you and then go to work with all these inbreakers over the middle that Hurts was hitting with him constantly. Because, again, like unless you're dedicating a bracket to him, you're completely screwed. And I just feel like he is one of the most unstoppable offensive weapons at any position right now because he is so fast he is so big he is physically overwhelming he's a good route runner catches everything like that one-hander was just ridiculous there's nothing you can do man and and even if even if you manage to stop him the fact that Hertz can again do his third down wizardry and then reset the chains and you gotta go right back to doubling AJ and hope to survive the next three plays like God, this team is hard. They're just so unbelievably talented that even when things aren't going entirely correct for them, which they haven't gone entirely correct for them, I still don't think we've seen the Eagles play their best game. No. When the fourth quarter comes around, they just out-talent everybody, and they win because their dudes are better than your dudes, and there is nothing you can do about that. And they have so many more of them. You're not going to get a break when your offense goes out there because their defense is going to wreck shop. You're not going to get a break when their offense is out there because your defense is trying to keep up with A.J. Brown and shut down Devonta Smith, and they kind of did that, and then Goddard went off for 100 yards. And, oh, by the way, Hertz ran for 72 yards to keep drives going because he was the fourth or fifth option. Like, he's running a smart way. He's not taking the extra hits. But if you open up the middle of the field, yeah, Jalen Hurts is going to run for 11 yards, like 15 yards, and that's going to be the end. And again, you're on a fresh four, and it's so demoralizing. And then they go, oh, yeah, we just want to run you over. So Jeff Stoutland gets his dudes cranked up, and they just blast you right in the face for four, five, six plays in a row. And then right when you're like, all right, we got to bring a guy down and commit to this. Like AJ's over there going, yeah, go for it. Please give me do. My, yeah. Give me my one one-on-one that you're going to give me all afternoon and I'm going to torch you for 60 yards. Like it, there are no good answers. I'm also with you, though, that we've not seen all of that work together like in perfect harmony yet. We have not seen the Eagles at full power. They're still winning games, which is a great sign. They're still just beating people up physically, especially AJ. Like that's that is a long ass day if you draw him in coverage. <laughs> I don't care if you've got help or not. Like he's there are very few people in this league that are that big and that fast. And he knows it right now. He there there are guys that are playing at that level that are kind of like, I don't know. Like he knows it. He's telling everybody, like, keep trying. It ain't gonna work. Like, I've got you. This is just gonna be a really long day for you. Poor Emmanuel Forbes has to see him again in a couple weeks. 
I'd be calling out sick. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, got the flu, coach. Sorry, I got it. I got the AJ Brown virus. I'm I'm gonna be on this. I'm gonna be on the bench. Uh, One note, by the way, before we move on from this game, on the brotherly shove. um, Who was it that uh, you know? I think it was JT actually that that made a note of this on Twitter, and uh, and so I, being myself, decided last night I was gonna go back and watch. (laughs) Watch all these reps um, of the brotherly shove where he's like, watch their feet. You know, the yeah, Eagles just... offensive line and the guys pushing and even hurts himself. They never stop moving their feet. If you watch the reps against the Rams, what were the Rams defenders doing? They were anchoring down, right? Keeping keeping 10 toes planted in the turf and trying to just, you know, be an obstacle. They weren't playing it like a rugby team plays it where you're constantly churning and churning and churning. So you got one team churning, one team trying to anchor. It's not going to work. Like you have to move your feet against them and literally turn it into a rugby scrum where everybody's moving. Not you just trying to be a tree stump. Like that's, it's one thing if you're trying to stop, you know, uh, like, like inside zone or something like that. But this is a different, a different kind of play. It's not a football play. It's a rugby play. Like, you got to move your fucking feet. And the Rams defenders just weren't weren't churning. And so, yeah, naturally, they're going to go back by three yards. So it's an interesting coaching point that I think um, maybe eventually somebody's going to catch on to. Like, maybe maybe some defensive line coach is going to bring in, like, some intramural rugby coach and, and teach these guys <laughs> how to do a scrum. But in the absence of that, I don't think anybody's going to stop it. They're not, and I had two experiences with this play yesterday that were really instructive. One, after the London game ended, the the rest of the games were still in pre-show, like pre-game show, and I'm just I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Being in the business, I'm not a, not a huge fan of pre-game shows. And Ireland versus Scotland, rugby, was mm. on. And my TV was like, oh, yeah. By the-. And I was like, oh, I'll just put that on while I like go make another cup of coffee. And so I watched a little high-level international rugby. And you see it, and I've watched rugby for a long time because I've had friends that have played it, like you said, intramurally. Or, you know, um, I even had a coworker whose son was on, like, the U14 uh, USA team for rugby his dad was a big rugby guy so i'm familiar with the sport and i've watched it a lot and it's like oh yeah that's how you do it and then the other thing was later in the day philly was up here on the four box and the Bengals were here and they both ran it at the same time so i got to see philly do it and like two seconds later i got to see cincinnati try it not the same play very different results like, yeah. it is just not the same play and everybody's like how do they do this and i'm like we talked about this they have a massive offensive line their left tackle was an international rugby player <laughs> a very good one <laughs> right their quarterback squats 600 pounds like they were good at like you said, football running plays, inside zone counter, whatever gap. Like they ran you over in a traditional way. They were bigger and stronger and faster than you in that way. Now they're running you over this way. And we're like, why are they so good at it? Like they were good at the other thing. Why wouldn't they be good at this thing? And some of these other teams that are running it because it's, I don't know, like I kind of wish the teams that have had zero success running it would just stop and be like, hey, we have the dudes for that. Like, but everybody's like, whoa, it's easy. And I'm like, 
Mm. It's kind of no, like the, the no, goal line not. power shovel option that's like, okay, Kansas right. City can run it and nobody else can. <laughs> like, don't yeah. even bother. <laughs> yeah, there's like five teams that are going to have success with that. And I feel like it might be around the same number with the brotherly shove. Like, if you have a big, powerful, especially inside trio on mm-hmm. your offensive line, and you have either a really tall athletic quarterback who can sort of leap over the top like Herbert and stretch and get three feet that way. Or you have somebody that's really crafty, like Stroud yesterday was really good. He's like ducked his head into the line and then ran around the edge. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like that's creative. That works too. But if you're just going to stand up there and push and like your quarterback's not particularly good at sneaks, like Tom Brady was really good at sneaks, right? Mm-hmm. Not a particularly mobile quarterback or what I would consider like an overtly strong quarterback, but he was excellent at sneaks. Great feel for the play. Very, very efficient. If you don't have one of those guys, like, don't run this play. Just stop it. And Tom was also, by the way, very good at, you know, because he would just look at the front. Huh? Be like, <laughs> either either A, where's my bubble, or B, like, where's my matchup? Like, where, yeah. where's the guy who's who's 298, not 315? I'm going to go to him, <laughs> you know? Like, that. that's that's why Tom was so good at it. It was, it was his pre-snap read on a QB sneak, as, as weird as that sounds. But, like, oh, he literally 100%. grabbed the ball, and then he would just, like, sidestep over to, like, whatever B-gap he wanted to go to, <laughs> you know? Anyway. But he was good at it and had a fact. Yeah. Like, if, if you're not one of those teams, just quit it. It's annoying. Like, you stand up and you get pushed, and now defenses have kind of figured out, like, hey, there is a way to play this. Like, just... Stop. Get that out of your playbook if it doesn't work. You mentioned the Bengals um, not being able to run it. It's one of the few things that they didn't do correct in that (laughs) game. Uh, That is our third game we're highlighting, by the way. Hell of a transition. I know. It's almost like I'm professional. Um, Bengals versus Cardinals. This was Sans failed tush push. This was the first game where the Bengals actually looked like the Bengals. Agreed. Burrow, he's not all the way back. Like, you can tell he's still hobbled. You know, there's there was a couple sacks where it's like, okay, healthy Burrow probably would have got out of that. But overall, you know, seeing them be able to spread it out and run five-man protections all day and Burrow getting it out quick and Jamar doing Jamar things and, you know, the defense played really well. You know, pass rush got home a bunch. Uh, coverage, for the most part, was I – mean, Hollywood got that touchdown, but that's, again, that's Hollywood – but, like, you know, lose defense looked like lose defense. Um, again, the offense looked like the offense. Like, it, it was the first time where I feel like we had we had seen the Bengals. Um, now, I will say, part of the reason why Arizona was not able to get a whole lot of pressure is because Burrow got it out in literally 2.5 seconds, average time to throw, which is blazing fast. Um, but I also feel like, on the flip side, the Cardinals – defense had a really 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 bad plan in this one um you know we talked about jamar chase doing jamar chase things but only two of chase's catches were against press coverage like they were seven eight nine ten yards off the entire game just giving him free access and it was slants it was little speed outs it was um you know smoke routes like yeah, no wonder he caught so many balls. They didn't contest him at all, you know? And, like, the one deep ball he caught, it was off one of the very few six-man pass protections they called the entire game. I think they called, like, five of them the entire game. And, of course, one of those was was the deep post to chase. But, um, 
you know, one of the one of the things that has worked against the Bengals offense so far this year is playing press man coverage and forcing Joe to hold it for more than two and a half seconds because you know he can't get away from pressure. Uh, and and the Cardinals just were doing the exact opposite. And they were saying, you know what? We're going to play soft. We're going to rush with four. We're going to trust our guys to get there in under two and a half seconds, apparently. No, not going to work. So I, I guess my nuanced or as, as nuanced as I can hope it to be take for this game is the Bengals look like the Bengals, but the Cardinals did nothing to make the Bengals look like not the Bengals, if that makes sense. It does. And I think there are levels to both of those arguments. I feel like the Cardinals in a way prepared for the Bengals of a week or two weeks ago. Hmm. And you can never aim behind a team. You got to try and aim ahead of them. It's a very difficult thing to do. That's why it's hard to win in the NFL. Modern medical therapy is ridiculous. Like Burrow is healing before our eyes while he plays. That's kind of different. Usually somebody with an injury that severe is not playing. And we saw how bad it was two weeks ago. He couldn't move. Like he literally could not move. And everybody knew it. And he still played. And he wasn't very effective. And, you know, hence the offense wasn't very effective. He looked much more mobile in this one. He ever he even choose, chose to take off and run, which he was avoiding like the plague two weeks ago. Um, and he looked pretty good doing it. You can see that base strength coming back. And with that base strength, he's able to rip the ball again. And he was able to drive the ball down the field to Jamar. And they haven't been able to do that when they can. We said they're a completely different team. And voila, they indeed are a completely different team with that in their arsenal. I wonder how many, and I don't think there's a count of this anywhere and if there is let me know in the comments (laughs) i don't think there's a way to figure it out is why i wonder how many of those routes were sight adjust between him and burrow (laughs) just looking oh we're talking about like the the quick stuff well i guarantee you all the all the smokes were because it was uh and i charted this it was was anything that was nine plus yards jamar literally just stopped waited for the ball he was like yeah yeah he was just like i'm sure he looked at burrow like into the third quarter and was like dude they're doing it again they're they're 10 yards off me again i guess we'll just take it like and burrow's going hey man sure why not so he ends up with 15 catches a billion yards you know 192 three tds all-time day um that just the records that he broke the eclipse for cincinnati there's some very good receivers that have played for cincinnati over the years and he was eclipsing their marks that's that's just a history note um if there was anything good, if there's a bright spot on the cards, D's, Avon Collins had another sack in this one. I'm, you know, as a former bootleg defensive gym, I am really glad that he finally gets to play for a staff that basically understands what he is and says, hey, go get it. And we get to see him do that a little bit. That's our wish for every player. And he certainly wasn't getting it under the old regime. He was a healthy scratch a bunch of weeks under the old regime. Like, that's just not using your talent properly. So it's cool to see that. But yeah, Cincinnati is regaining health and they were taken into the Cardinals and the Cardinals were giving it to them in a lot of ways. And that's rough because the Cardinals have played tough. They even played tough in this one. Again, they didn't get blown off the field, um, but they didn't, they're not going to keep up with a ascending Bengals team if they don't do some creative things. And again, sort of aim ahead of them. And they didn't. Overall, uh, I think I'm just happy that 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 game was entertaining to watch because I was worried, you know, based on what we had seen from both of these teams 
you know, in the first four weeks, I was worried that we were going to get kind of like a, a little bit of a slop fest because we weren't entirely sure like, okay, what are the Bengals? And we weren't entirely sure like, ah, what are the Cardinals? But ended up being highly entertaining. And I know that both of these teams probably uh, will not be there in the end. But hey, if they're giving us good, entertaining, watchable football on a Sunday afternoon in October, I'll take it at this point. Like I will, I will take that at this point. Um, also, speaking of teams that probably won't be there in the end, but had highly entertaining games, Texans versus Falcons, next game on the docket. Something I, I really do like about this show is that you know we we take the time to talk about teams that maybe aren't going to get any segments on national media uh, this morning. Falcons, I think, do deserve to be talked about, though. Mm-hmm. They have been rightly, correctly uh, <laughs> lambasted multiple times this season as as a... Some people have used the word fraud. I don't think so because they were not selling us... They were not selling us on any other image than what they are, right? Like, this is going to be a ball control team with an aggressive, fun defense. It's really talented. They spent a lot of money on it, and Desmond Ritter, his job is to not fuck it up. Like, we knew going into the year that's what they were. And so for people to say, like, ah, oh, they're frauds, it's like, no, they're, they're exactly what they said they were, right? <laughs> but when it works, I think they deserve credit for making it work. You know, Desmond yes. Ritter looked good in this game. Like, well, no. well, I guess it depends on your definition of good, but, like, he looked fine. Like, he was efficient. He made good decisions. He made a couple plays with his legs. You know, didn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, his skill position... Guys made plays for him, like Drake had the really awesome contested catch. Bijan basically caught one off his back hip. Uh, you know, Kyle Pitts finding holes in the zone, you know, actually being productive. It was awesome. It all worked. Like it all absolutely worked. And and that's what that's what the Falcons are. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so I want to give them credit when the vision comes to life. Are they ever? going to compete with what the Eagles or the Niners are right now, or, you know, really any of the top NFC teams? Probably not. Does that mean that they don't deserve to be talked about at all when things go exactly according to plan? No, like they should be talked about. It was good. It was entertaining. Like it, they're a solid football team. I will give them credit for that. This is the plan. I love that you laid that out because in my notes, I said, the Falcon strategy worked, right? Let's run the ball, control the clock, win a close game at the end. Like, that's who they were billed as. That's what they were built for this year. And they did exactly that. So, yeah, let's give them their flowers because not every team in the NFL is going to be a top team. And some teams are going to have to find and create and build wins in, in other ways because they don't have all the tools that those other teams you mentioned do. And the Falcons did and they come out with a w yesterday and it's it's interesting and yeah i think it is fun to talk about so i have a theory what's that pitch you my theory okay kyle pitts is a huge nascar fan in what way go down turn left (laughs) you know i was i was actually thinking during the game i was like what what was his injury which leg was that in because i feel like (laughs) Uh-huh. Like when when he cuts off of his right leg, it looks a lot different than when he cuts off his left leg. 
it basically is a whole bunch of left hooks. Like that's all it is. It's like all of his routes except for one, sorry, two, go out and go left. And he had a great day for the first time. So Kyle Pitts likes NASCAR. That's my theory. Uh, Ritter, you talked about him, 28 of 37, 329, one TD, but I think the bigger number, again, for how this strategy is built for the Falcons to win football games is no interceptions. Ten different Falcons caught the ball. That was one of the reps on him coming out of Cincinnati is he will find people that are open. He will distribute the ball. Pretty rare to see ten different players catch a ball in any offense. Drake London's kind of got an arm, too. Did you see that? Did you see his pass completion? Okay. And he's a lefty. Yeah. Hello. Like, Didn't see wait, that one coming. <laughs> super tall lefty that can throw while in the grass. Like yet another odd weapon for the Falcons to use. All right. I'm glad they got to use it. I'm glad we got to see it. Generally, I thought the Texans accounted for Bijan pretty well. Only 46 yards at 3.3 per rush. Like, yes, he had the touchdown receiving. He had the crazy touchdown receiving. But if you come away, like Bijan's a star. We've talked about this over the first month. He is dynamic in both the run game and the pass game and if if you come out with a game plan from a defense and say hey we allowed that guy under 50 yards rushing 3.3 per he had to earn him like i i think you hang your hat on that and say we're fine with that you know we didn't win the game but it wasn't because Bijan ran all over us so generally pretty good work by them and neither team allowed a sack which i just bring up because that's odd it's just odd well i mean if you looked at yeah, if you know the Texans pass rush, <laughs> it's not that odd. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's like, I see this all the time. I meant both teams, not just your team. Yeah. There we go. I, I will say, uh, speaking of the Texans, also, um, side note, my ADD brain won't let me not say this. Uh, it was Kyle Pitt's right knee that was hurt last year. So why he's better at pivoting off of his injured knee, I have no idea. But like literally, if you if you watch the tape from the first yeah. four weeks, like the cuts do legitimately look different going left than right. No idea why. Maybe I, he's hurt in some other way. I don't know. But anyway, uh, speaking of the Texans, they still need a lot more gas on defense. They got young players that are really like, especially on the second and third levels. Um, but Grenard, Grenard being the one who has to lead this team in sacks is not going to work. Like, Grenard is, I don't even want to say he's a, he's a Robin. He's an Alfred. They hope that eventually Will Anderson will be the Batman. But they still need another dude. Like, especially, like, interior. Like, an interior rusher. They still need another one. Like, it's, this pass rush isn't, isn't all the way there. And it's not really something they can fix right now. Like, that's, that's future Texans problem in next year's draft. <laughs> Um, now they're going to have to do that without a first round pick. So goodbye, Johnny Newton. That that's not happening. But um, you know they're going to have to try to find some sort of interior pass rusher in the next draft. That became very clear to me. That being said, offense is totally taken care of. C.J. Stroud, <laughs> praise be unto his name. Uh, he's awesome. Now he certainly tried to throw his first pick in this game a couple times, but yes, he, he didn't. Did. He didn't. So the streak nope. is still alive. But that last uh, that last touchdown to Dalton Schultz was awesome, you know. Uh, and this had been a, a Falcons defense that going into this week we have talked about this before. They are very very good at. Uh, at holding down the intermediate middle of the field, like allowing less than 40% completions 
on intermediate throws over the middle. And they overall did a very good job uh, in this game as well. And Stroud is excellent at working the intermediate middle of the field, but they didn't let him, you know, four of 13 on third down consistently, you know, either playing man coverage with zone help over the middle or just straight up playing zone and just clogging everything over the middle and saying, go ahead, throw deep outside the numbers. That's all we're going to give you. Um, Like this Falcons defense did what they do best and Stroud couldn't crack it until the last drive. And that clutch factor, even though they lost the game, is so encouraging for me that that kid can just get knocked around all game long. He's not given any of his bread and butter throws all game long. And then when it matters most, he can go down and take the lead. Yes, they still lost the game. That was a huge, huge step for C.J. Stroud. So they have their quarterback. Their offensive line is, when they're healthy, mostly all the way there. They have their receivers with Nico and Tank. um, And, of course, an, an older Bobby Trees. They have their running back. I think they have their tight end with Schultz too. Like this offense is is pretty good to go, in my opinion. It, I'm not going to say it's the most talented group in the league. It's nowhere close to the most talented group in the league, but it's certainly far from from the bottom tier. Like this is an above average offense in terms of talent. And once the Texans do get another pass rusher to go along with Will and, and Grenard, and and once they um, once they get, hopefully, Stingley back from injury and, and hopefully he plays up to his potential as maybe a future number one corner, like, I don't know, Texans are not as far away as as a lot of people thought going into this year. They don't need that much, but a lot of the reason why they don't need that much is because C.J. Stroud has worked. Yes, I feel like the Texans are the AFC version of this year's Rams. We talked about the Rams mm. up near the top that... Everybody thought they were going to be real bad and figuring it out, and they've been anything but. They've been super tough. They've played last week. I think I said they played in D'Amico's image. I think that continues to be true. Stroud looks like a three-year vet back there, just so calm finding his targets. That's special. That's not typical rookie QB stuff. Seen lots and lots and lots of rookie QBs. Very rarely do they look as calm as he does and do the right thing. Because <laughs> there have been plenty who look really calm and were just duds. They just never did anything, right? But he looks calm doing the right thing, and that's a special combination. Connection that I thought would be important in the summer that I highlighted during our summer preview series with Dalton Schultz. He's finally starting to heat up, but I want to say that it's for a totally different reason. I was right, but for the wrong reason. Um, I thought that a young QB would need a security blanket. Mm -mm. CJ is kind of like that kid that skipped crawling and went straight to walking. He's like, I don't need that stuff. Now (laughs) the connection is just because Schultz is a good tight end who knows how to get open and Stroud can hit him. It's not that he's leaning on him or he's running for his life and there's Dalton. That's really what I thought it was going to be. Nah, he was like, "Mm -mm, I got it. Just get open and I'll hit you. And like you said, beautiful touchdown. So again, right for the wrong reason, we'll take what we can get. Damian Pierce is fighting for his life. This is my weekly Damian Pierce mention. He only got only got 66 yards in this one. Do you know why? <laughs> because he is averaging 0.7 yards before contact per attempt. Ugh. That is the 10th worst number in the league for RBs with more than 25 attempts. So he, if he looks like a hyena, 
who is, or if he looks like that wildebeest that's getting taken down by a bunch of hyenas on every plate, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. He's still like kicking them all off and, you know, knocking a bunch of them in the head, but he's not going to get very far. So when you said, oh, I think their offensive line is most of the way there when healthy, I'm like, I could use a little run blocking. Also a factor in that, and I think it was Nate Dice who said that uh, Damian is one of those running backs who's very fond of the path of most resistance. So yes, he, he, he will run into people for fun. <laughs> so. He wants his smoke. He wants his contact. That is uh, how he goes. And because of that, um, I want to see him with a good run blocking line in his career before all that mileage slows him down because that would be really fun. So if I get to use another of my NFL wishes, like I want, I want Pierce to get some run blocking before he is worn down to a nub because that will eventually happen. We see it with all running backs, especially running backs with that style. But man, does that guy run hard? Everybody's like Isaiah Pacheco runs so hard and he does. But Damian Pierce is over here just like blowing guys up with dynamite. And everybody's like, Oh, it's the Texans. I don't care. I, I think there's a non-zero chance that Pierce and Isaiah Pacheco were twins split at birth because they run the same way. <laughs> Just bat out of hell every single yeah. snap. 100%. It's fun, though. It's fun. It's great. All right. Let's get to the main event. Uh, we've kind of uh, we've, we've kind of beaten around this bush long enough. I'm going to start with asking you a question, EJ. Go for it. Feel free to take as much or as little time as you need to answer it. <laughs> we know the 49ers are great like that is clear they are a threshing machine they might be the best team in football not even might be they are the best team in football uh that being said are the cowboys frauds because if you look at who they've beaten and how they've beaten them and then what happens when they go up against a team that is not bottom of the barrel and this is maybe a, a Mike McCarthy thing because uh, it's happening in Green Bay a lot too. Like I, I have zero trust in them being able to beat a good team at this point. So I ask you, are the Cowboys this year's Vikings? Like are, are, are they quote unquote fraudulent? I don't think they're fraudulent. I think that is an improper label. I think, strangely enough, and I'm going to pull examples from this podcast that we've just talked about, I think in some ways they are a very strange love child of the Bills and the Falcons. In the sense that we know what they are and when what they do works, it really works. But when they have to do literally anything else, they get blown off the face of the earth. <laughs> did I, did I read that correctly? <laughs> you nailed it. Like, this is what the Cowboys are. They beat teams they're supposed to beat pretty handily. We saw them completely dismantle the Patriots. We said going into the Niners game, like, the Niners are not the Patriots. So this was, again, expected. This is the book on the Cowboys and has been for some time. They don't win those big, tough games unless, and this is the Bills caveat, like, their very narrow window of football lines up extremely well, and they come and execute on that day. And if they do, they can look like world beaters. And I think this is where people, especially Cowboys fans, get hung up on this. They're like, but look, they did this against this really good team once. And you're like, yeah, that is totally possible. When all cylinders fire at the same time and you know everybody's pulling in the same direction, they look like world beaters. 
but it happens like twice a year and not even for a full game. Might even just be a half. Other it than still that, hasn't happened yet this year. Right. Other than that, they beat the teams they should and they lose to the teams that we would expect them to lose to. So I feel like, yeah, at this point, and unfortunately it's unlike the Falcons in that the Falcons didn't try and like pull the wool over anybody's eyes. They said, this is what we're going to be. And their fans, knowing a lot of long-suffering, yes, Charles, I'm talking to you, uh, just said, okay, we accept that because we're Falcons fans. Whereas the Cowboys, on the other hand, always push up a shiny veneer, always get a ton of primetime games. That builds expectation, and then they come out and play the exact same way. Yeah, and I think what frustrated me the most about it is, is you know, McCarthy looking for a scapegoat, of course, and I... I do think he was looking for a scapegoat. Put everything on <laughs> Kellen. You know, it's like, oh, we got we got to run the ball yeah. situationally. We got to be more balanced. Rah, 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 blame, rah. blame the dead guy. Blame the dead guy, right? And so, you know, pushed Kellen out the door and then, you know, gave us a bunch of lip service over the offseason about how, you know, they were going to commit to balance. They were going to commit to running the ball situationally. They were going to be better in the red zone, which good luck being better in the red zone. You were the number one red zone offense last year. What the fuck? Like, you were good in the red zone last year. You're one of the worst this year in the red zone um and well which wasn't a problem in this game because they couldn't really get to the red zone to begin with but you know the, the, mccarthy's preaching all offseason about how they're going to run the ball and be balanced and and blaming kellen for everything and then eight of their first 10 plays against the san francisco 49ers were pass plays what why does why does anybody believe Anything that comes out of Mike McCarthy's mouth. He lies anymore. every offseason. I swear right, to God. This is this is a guy who openly admitted, jokingly, ha ha, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I lied in my job interview to get my very expensive position that I currently hold. I told them that I like sat down and studied hard and that I would change. And they bought it, which is the Cowboys problem. I mean, literally bought it like they bought the explanation and then they bought the coach one thing after another that's just bad money after bad i guess anyways and then mccarthy came out very soon after that and went <laughs> i didn't i didn't do any of that like and, I and, he, up- and for, he said it when jerry was right next to him and i'm like wow so the ink's dry huh like you're you can just yeah, say whatever you want now <laughs> exactly coach contacts are guaranteed um i used to have a coworker like this who would sit in meetings and say like wildly inappropriate but true things and everybody would kind of go <laughs> and then they were like oh wait you're serious huh wow that's that's a that's a that's an approach. That's a thought. That's a take. Like, and here McCarthy is doing it on the professional coaching level. And I know it's frustrating to coaches who do try and better themselves and do come up with creative approaches and do react to the same stimuli differently to try and end up with a different result. McCarthy's not that guy. So I, I don't know. I don't listen to really anything he says because I don't trust him. And Frankly, neither should the Cowboys because he openly said, I lied for money. So, you know, take your pick. But am I surprised that he said one thing and they either were that good or weren't or did one thing or, you know, said one thing and did another? No, that's that's the book on McCarthy. And I I don't want to hear any of this like, oh, well, they couldn't run the ball anyway. They didn't even try. Pollard had eight carries and he was the, the leading Rusher for them with eight carries. They're like, well, the game got out of hand early. 
<laughs> yes, it that. did. It was seven. It was seven nothing. <laughs> like you're down by seven. Like yeah, it got out of hand early because you passed on first down, incomplete. You passed on second down, incomplete. You tried to pass on third down, sack, twice. Right? Like uh-huh. they they took a couple sacks in the first few drives because they wouldn't run the freaking ball. And so, again, I get it. Analytically, there's a whole movement of like, oh, you want to throw one first down. and I get it. But you don't get to be the coach that says we're firing, well, not firing, we're parting ways with Kellen Moore, mutual decision, whatever wording they want to use, because he's not running the ball enough, even though they were top 10 in run-pass ratio, but whatever. And and how... uh, and, and how they weren't running the ball well situationally, uh, even though they were uh, number one red zone offense in the NFL. Like, you don't get to be the coach that, that says that we don't run enough and then not run. Like, you don't, you don't get to, to do sure that. Sure you do. And you get, what is it, six, eight, ten million dollars a year, whatever it is. Like, you, you do. And this is, this is the thing. And I don't understand why people keep buying it. I haven't understood it for a long time. Uh, the end of his Green Bay tenure was not pretty. I, I got to live through that one and was actually pretty excited that he was still the coach of Green Bay for a while there at the end. Um, and then, you know, he you said there's a big analytical movement. I'm like, well, we know McCarthy didn't look at that because he says like, oh, I studied all the analytics. And he comes out and goes, no, I didn't. I, I'm just going to do things the same way. So. You know, I I have trouble being shocked at this. I'm kind of sorry for Cowboys fans because, again, that we're not seeing what talent-wise, we're not seeing the most gotten out of the Cowboys as could be. And that's the big frustration for the fans. Hey, we have all these stars. They're super highly paid. We see them go up against other NFL stars and do really well. There's a lot of talent on that team. It It is a very talented football team, and it does not play up to its potential. Yes. It's it's just so frustrating. Like the defense So again, nuance nuance is allowed here. The defense did a good job bottling up Christian McCaffrey. And going into this game, the reason why I thought it was going to be a low-scoring war was because looking at how the Cowboys handled outside zone, which was the predominant run from San Francisco, it was like I don't know. They handle that actually pretty well. Like, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to run the ball with Christian McCaffrey. And, and McCaffrey, for the most part, got bogged down. You know, he he made his impact as a receiver, which you expect. And he got some crucial first downs, which you expect. But it's not like he was running all over them. But then at the same time, Kyle, being Kyle, he was willing to almost sacrifice McCaffrey and just remind Dan Quinn, like, you have to play cover three or we're going to run on you. Play cover three, Dan. Play cover three, Dan. Here. Here's five more carries in a row. Play cover three, you fuck. Gotcha. Gotcha. There's a dig route over the middle. There's a big first down. Here's a crossing route. Like, I I felt like they kept running CMC to basically make Dan Quinn play the one coverage Mm -hmm. that he could play to stop that run, which is cover three. Because hey, we gotta get we gotta get all like we can't play man coverage. Okay. They're they're too condensed. The formations, like everybody's in the core. So we can't play man coverage or they're just gonna eat us alive with rubs and everything like that. We have to play zone, but we need an extra body down to stop the run. What does that leave us? Literally only cover three. 
Like mm-hmm. that's all you can do. So everybody has to be outside leverage, which means we're getting free in breakers all day long. All we have to do is manipulate the hook zones, move them out of the way, middle of the field open, right? And so every time they ran the ball with Christian, I swear to God, it was Kyle looking at Dan Quinn and said, go ahead, run it again. Call it again. I'm going to beat you over the middle. And he did. And, and he did it over and over and over again. And I swear to God, Dan Quinn was like, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't call anything else. Like, I literally have to call this coverage. And I have to trust my guys to win. And they're, and they're not winning. Yeah. I had this realization last night that I get the feeling when I watch Shanahan call his offense against a defense, really any defense, he's just playing with his food. Yeah. He... He's got every answer, and he knows when his team executes that nobody can stop him because he knows he's got answers for everything they might pull. And half the time, like like you said, he's just like, tap, 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 tap. Come on, do the thing, do the thing, <laughs> right? Okay, you did the thing. Bam, now I'm going to hit you. I think, and this came to me second, I think that's why he never really seems to get concerned or pissed about an opposing defense. Like I was thinking back to all the press conferences and like the in-game comments and like what he he never is that guy that's like screaming at the refs or throwing his play card or, or, you know, if he's yelling at his guys, he's yelling at his guys to do the thing he asked him to do. Not like, hey, you got to beat that guy. He's not as good as you like. He already knows that. Like it's a foregone conclusion. It's extremely. And I don't want to say arrogant because arrogant would like indicate that he's not right no it's confidence is he is right it's factual it's just confidence and so he knows the opposing defense doesn't matter and it doesn't really matter who they are like he's just not concerned he's concerned that he can manipulate them but he's not concerned about really what they're going to play or what they're going to try and do to him like he is leading that conversation every single time and that's what i mean by playing with his food he's like He's doing exactly what you said to Quinn, but he's doing it every week. And he knows no matter what they do, we've got an answer on this team. And that shows up in their record. This is an extremely good, well-oiled threshing machine. And you run out of answers pretty quickly, which is why in the preview episode I said, I think this one might get out of hand because I just I think Dallas might have the first answer or the second or the third, but they don't have the fourth, and they don't have the fifth. And Shanahan is just as strong, if not stronger, going to those options. And you just you just lose. Like, it's a combined assault, and you just don't have the answer for something. And then the beachhead is open, and he does whatever he wants. The only, not the only, the main way that I see that, that you could stand up to this 49ers uh, offense which right now is operating at a level that is that is second only to Miami, I would say, consistently, right? Um, but kind of the main way that I see that you might be able to handle them is, A, you still got to play cover three, because, again, it's all condensed sets with the motion and everything like that. Like They're, they're going to face more cover three than anybody this year, because they have to. And so really the only way that that I see cover three being able to stop all of these inbreakers and all the space that is manufactured is either a you need a badass outside corner that can hang with Ayuk on these inbreakers and still be able to contest passes over the middle. Not every team has that. Or nope. B, you need 
you, you need incredibly rangy, instinctive linebackers that are not going to get manipulated by Brock Purdy's eyes. Or see, you mean like you mean like San Francisco's linebackers? <laughs> so unironically, salt in the. Hold on, Un- unironically, yes. The worst, the worst matchup for the San Francisco offense is the San Francisco defense. Like they, they literally have hundred percent, but they get to practice against those guys every day. So, yeah. but like you, you need that, right? And you also, yes. by the way, need uh, need a defensive line that isn't going to get completely blown off the line of scrimmage. Uh, line of scrimmage. So it's like I, I'm thinking back to okay, who who can actually do that, and. Off the top of my head, it's like Kansas City, maybe Philly if their outside corners are having a good day. But again, they're they're older and not playing up to their usual standard this year so far. Um, if Buffalo was all the way healthy, which they're not, you could you could throw them in the conversation. But again, they're not healthy anymore. Um, other than that, I I can't really think of. Of any defenses that kind of uh, maybe Cleveland, but th- there's like five teams in the NFL that I think would have a shot here. Yeah, and, and it's maybe, <laughs> and it's maybe. Yeah, and clearly Dallas isn't one of them. No, I don't think they are, and I think it's a valuable conversation to have. And again, we brought this up in the preview. Like, aside from the game, Purdy got knocked out of the playoff game against Philadelphia. This team's not lost since October, late October of last year. So the answer is nobody can. Like, mm-hmm. And they've scored at least 30 every week this year, and that number is increasing. This is, this is not a fun matchup for anybody. Again, if they stay healthy, just like we were talking about the Bills, like they need to be healthy. But if you put a healthy Bills team and a healthy 49ers team on the same field right now, I'm absolutely leaning to the 49ers. Because yeah, I would they're too. Going to, they're going to find a way. They always do. So again, straight up health on health. Like I, I don't think anybody can, and that that plays out in the record. Like they haven't lost in a freaking year, except for losing their quarterback in the playoffs. Like, yeah, there's a reason why there was so much. I don't want to say salt, uh, angst coming out of the 49ers locker room after that game, right? Because all of them, to a man, were like, we would have won. Like we, we would have had them, right? 100%. And I'm not sure I disagree. <laughs> like, no. They're so good. Yeah, and we've we've continually extolled the virtues of Philly and how good they are and how great that roster is and how awesome Jalen's been and everything else. And I still put them as a maybe. Could they beat Philadelphia or could they beat San Francisco? They absolutely could. Do I think they would? Like, supremely, am I really sure about that? I mean, on any given day, it's possible. Like, the NFL is a funny place, but I don't have extreme confidence in that. And considering how much we like Philadelphia's roster and their coaching right now, that's that's saying something. Purdy, just a note on him, only threw 24 passes, only completed 17, still had four touchdowns. Yeah. No, like, uh, in terms uh, the, of the efficiency, space, the space that's created ridiculous. is just nuts. Yeah, and the efficiency. Like, if you if you work out an efficiency metric for that, it's bananas. Uh, I'm looking at the 49ers schedule coming up here. Uh, they, so we are going to put that Cleveland note to the test, by the way, because that's the next game. Uh, Cleveland yeah. coming off a bye. 
Uh, and then they got the Vikings. They're going to obliterate the Vikings. Uh, and then they got the Bengals. <laughs> I don't know about that one. We'll see. We'll see what Joe looks like. Uh, it's a nice then, test. I mean, nice test. Sure. Then we got the Jags. Sneaky fun game. Still would favor the 49ers pretty pretty well there. Uh, and then it's the, the fighting Dave Canalysis, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, November 19th. <laughs> and then here's, here's a three-game stretch that I am fascinated by. At Seattle, at Philly, hosting Seattle from Thanksgiving week until second week of December. Yeah. Oof, that's going to be fun. Like that, we're that gonna honestly, we're going to know a lot. Yeah. And that whole stretch in one way or another, A, could determine who wins the West and B, could determine who's first seed. So we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, Got to love those schedulers. Oh, they gotta did love that, that shit on purpose. They, they Absolutely. Got to love that AI scheduling it up, making it interesting. Keep those eyeballs pinned late in the season, and they will with that with that particular stretch. All right. Well, we have uh, a few more days to go until the TNF live stream with uh, Broncos and Chiefs. So uh, I know that a lot of people are wondering what our thoughts are on that Chiefs game. I still have to go back and watch the film on that one. I, I kind of had it in the quad box, so I... I didn't get to fully pay attention to what was going on. Uh, I mean, I, I looked at all the quote-unquote penalties that everybody wanted <laughs> from the Chiefs late in the game, and yeah, that's a whole different topic of discussion. But um, I no, the refs are not the refs are not rigging the game for Kansas City. Like, can I just say that? Like, the only note I'll give on that game is if the NFL, the National Football League, which has Every uh, gambling regulator up its ass right now every single week because they have gambling partners, right? And so they are being watched like a hawk by both state and federal agencies. Why would the NFL conspire to rig the game for the Kansas City, Missouri media market? Not New York, not LA, not Chicago. Fucking Kansas City is what is what we're going to risk prosecution over right rigging the game like come on guys can't can't refs just be bad at their job isn't that the better explanation that refs are just bad can't we accept that Occam's razor here never never assign malice where you know just incompetence is probably the answer but like (laughs) I am just giggling at the vision of people not not knowing whether or not to support you because you're backing the chiefs or or absolutely firebomb you because you just slagged their market. Like, I don't, I don't know which. <laughs> it's like, true. Like, I get it. I know. Mahomes but they're the just like, boy, wait, should I like him now. or hate him? I'm not sure which here. So you've, you know, effectively pissed off 100% of the people, 50% of the ways. So nice work. It's just a, it's, it's just a ridiculous theory. And, and by the way, they got called for 10 penalties for almost 100 yards in that game. Like, and, and, and don't, don't hit me with this whole, like, well, yeah, but it's it's the it's the Legarius Sneed taking the helmet. They should have flagged him for that, and and that like completely changed the game. No, it didn't. That happened after the play. It was a fourth down. Like, yeah, they were they getting the ball get the back ball. anyway. Like, so, it didn't change anything. I think it's more about timing, and I understand people's frustration. But like, if you watch as much of the NFL as we do, like the assumption that all other games are executed pretty cleanly from an officiating perspective is not true. Um, You know, 
that we get to talk about the officials because we don't get fined. We're, we're unlike Marshawn. We don't have to just sit up here for an hour and say, I'm just here. So we won't get <laughs> fined. Like, um, but you know, I get it. People are frustrated. And again, this goes back to my theory of last week that Kansas city has now won enough that people are starting to get edgy. People are starting to boil about it just like they did to the Patriots. And it is the most predictable storyline ever. Like it just means your team has had a lot of success. Um, that is true, and this is a natural byproduct of that. Yeah, I don't know. I just think if there was a if there was any conspiracy theory in the NFL, it wouldn't be for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, <laughs> be, for, be for a there's a couple other teams that they would probably favor instead of the Chiefs of all teams. Also, like, not to get on a tangent. This is the, <laughs> you mean this not the, to stay on a tangent? Another tangent. <laughs> this is the same team that lost a game because Chris Jones said some mean words. Like, yeah, but the refs are in the Chiefs' pocket. Okay, come on now. They're just bad at their job. Like, just accept that. Like, that's the easier explanation. Okay? It, it is It is easier from a, log- a logical perspective. However, it is much more difficult for many fans to just go, yeah, they just stink. They're human. and they're, But they're why not- can't they be inconsistently bad for me, EJ? Like, that's really what it, what's at its core. It's like, why refs- can't they be bad for me? I see what you've done for other teams, and I want that for me. Uh, yeah, that is a very human condition right there. All right, let's get out of here before I say something stupid. Uh, more we will things be back. that are stupid? <laughs> more things that are stupid. Okay. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday for them, uh, those, those uh, zebra allies over in Kansas City. They're playing against Denver <laughs> on Thursday night, so make sure to come by for that live stream. Uh, and then we have our week six Wait, yeah, week six preview going up on Friday. Uh, Once again, thank you to Homage for uh, working with us all season long. Announcement on that coming soon, by the way. And we get an Uh, Homage pack this week. We get fresh, fresh duds are on the way from Homage. So we're excited about that, too. Slowly getting more and more gear uh, for every single team in the league. So we're building up our collection from Homage. Uh, remember, any anything you buy from Homage, and they have uh, not just NFL licenses, but licenses for other stuff. I got like a Legend of the Hidden Temple crew neck coming pretty soon here. Um, but anything you get from Homage at our link in the description directly benefits the show. And so we thank you for everybody who's already uh, purchased team gear from them on our behalf. Uh, also want to thank our executive producers, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. Appreciate you all uh, backing us once again. We'll be back in a few days for the TNF live stream. EJ, before we get out of here, any last words? I almost crossed Fitzy out of the list this week just because he tried to kill you, but <laughs> just kidding, Fitzy, we love you. It was both the best and the worst show I've ever had, and so I both love and I hate Fitzy for that. And there we go. You know what? Because, well, where is it? Where did I put it? I still have the Malort oh, bottle somewhere. I can't believe you didn't throw that thing off the roof. No, dude, there's one more Bears TNF game to go. Like, I gotta, I gotta preserve it. I'm aware. Anyway, I'm gonna lock that away until the Bears come on national TV again. Uh, we'll be back in a few days for TNF. Hope you guys join us for that. And until then, later. <laughs>